Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you have given us your Son, who is in fact the Savior to the world. Help us to rejoice in him and realize the great blessings we have in him so that we may bring glory and honor to you. We ask all of this through Jesus, our Savior and King. Amen. Amen. We have entered into the season of Epiphany. This is a season where that which is hidden is revealed. We see Jesus being revealed by the angels, the shepherds, and the magi. And of course, the magi, they declare the arrival of the king, the anointed one, who will deliver his people from their sin. In today's passage, God the Father will reveal his beloved son, and the Spirit will indwell the son. During the Epiphany season, Jesus is revealed as the beloved son by the Father, both at his baptism and again at his transfiguration. As we consider God's word today, let us consider these things, these themes. Jesus is both king and high priest. The triune God has brought in Jesus a new creation. And finally, in baptism, we are instruments of righteousness. Let us hear from God's word from Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. As you know, John, the forerunner of Jesus, is out in the wilderness of Jordan. One commentator points out that John's placement in the wilderness, baptizing in the Jordan, his diet... And even his clothing is symbolic that Israel will pass through a radical renewal before they can be brought out of the exile that they're in. And you say, well, what exile were they in? Well, they were under the oppression of the leaders of Israel. Remember, Israel has become like Egypt, the place of oppression, the place where worship is not right. We see that just as Jesus flees to Egypt and passes through the wilderness, that Israel itself will have to pass through the waters of the Jordan into the wilderness and to be brought back from exile. This is pointing to a full and final exodus from bondage. Of course, John is baptizing people to repentance. We hear John at the beginning of Matthew chapter 3 declaring, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The response is that many came to confess their sins. If we contrast when the common people came 
They came, they repented, they were baptized. However, you see later on that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the, the religious leaders, they came out first to check John out, as they do. You'll see that they do this to Jesus later. But also, they come out there because they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. They are coming out looking as if they're spiritual, and they come out to John. And John, with the utmost directness, says to the spiritual leaders that they are to bear fruit corresponding to repentance. There is an admonition of John not to look to their heritage for their assurance of being God's people. John also speaks to the intimate judgment that is coming where fruit is evaluated and cut down and burned. In Matthew 3, verse 12, John states this, His, that is God's, winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Now remember that the temple, the house of worship for Yahweh, is built on the threshing floor of Aruna. We see this in 2 Samuel chapter 24. This is an important detail because the judgment being spoken of is about the corruption of worship and therefore corruption of daily living. First, this is to the leaders of Israel and then, of course, to the common folk. The temple worship had become empty or vain of true worship. This is, of course, a violation of the third commandment. That is, carrying the name of God in an empty, meaningless manner. You know, this can be done even if you are wearing religious clothes and participate in the appearance of worship or some kind of liturgy. People of God, they were all dressed up. They wore their, their, prayer, their prayer shawls. They had the right amount of threads in it. They had the tassels. They had the phylacteries on their head. They were doing all these external things, but they were not worshiping God. As a matter of fact, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection. So for them, it was truly a form of godliness, but denying the power of God, the resurrection, and even the fact that you could truly be reconciled to God. John also tells us of the one to come, who even though John baptizes them with water of repentance, John says this, that he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's Matthew 3.11. But you see, Jesus shows up, and he has come to fulfill all righteousness. You know, from the time of Jesus' birth to his baptism is 30 years. Jesus shows up on the scene where John is baptizing at the Jordan. And it says this in verse 13, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. 
John is astonished by Jesus' request. John knows that his baptism is one of repentance. Jesus never sinned. Jesus does not need to repent. Jesus, unlike Israel, is the faithful son. In verse 15 it says this, But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he, that is John, allowed him. What does Jesus mean by this? In part, receiving baptism from John, Jesus is identifying with the people he has come to save. In fact, remember that Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. But there is more going on here. Jesus, as we have identified in recent weeks, is in fact king. But he is also our priest. We see in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. We see also in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We also see in Hebrews chapter 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son today, I have begotten you. And, of course, we also see how God is at work. We see that there are, here we see Jesus coming in, and he's saying, listen, I'm going to become the high priest for you. And, of course, you say, like, how does this fit in? I'm not sure. Well, there are three requirements to be a priest. One, you have to be called. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, we see, that Jesus was called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The second requirement is to be 30. Luke tells us in his account that Jesus was 30 at the beginning of his ministry. In in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it says this, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age. And finally, the last thing that you have to do to be a priest is to be sprinkled or washed ceremonially. If we look at Numbers chapter 8, beginning in verse 6, take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them ceremonially. Thus you shall do to them to cleanse them, sprinkle water of purification on them, and let them shave their body and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Jesus' baptism is his ordination as a priest. He is not a priest according to Aaron. Of course, he's from the tribe of Judah, and he is a king. But he is called out to the oldest order of the priesthood. Psalm 110, Yahweh has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order 
of Melchizedek. Remember in Genesis chapter 14 that Melchizedek is the priestly king of Salem. And of course, Salem is Jerusalem. And he brought to Abraham bread and wine. Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God. When we are baptized, we share in Christ's baptism. Jesus' baptism fulfills righteousness. Jesus' baptism makes Jesus an instrument of righteousness. Now, if we continue on, we see in, in verse in 16 of Matthew chapter 3, the fullness of the Trinity. When he, that is Jesus, had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here we see the triune God revealed. Jesus receives his priestly baptism, and change is brought upon all creation. First, the scripture tells us that the heavens were open to him. This is really significant. The Father is in heaven. Remember, he's sitting in his throne room. And when he creates the world, the firmaments are put in place. And he is in his throne room. And the firmament, the heavens are there. And that it cuts us off from being in the presence of God the Father. The Father is in heaven, and the heavens are open to him. If we look in the parallel passage in Mark, he uses a word that we translate as parting, but that doesn't do the translation justice. This word in Mark, shehizo, means to rend or to tear in a violent way. It's the same word that Mark uses at the death of Jesus Christ when the temple veil is torn asunder. Where we see Jesus who has atoned for our sins. Here at Jesus' baptism is the message that the Father has sent and revealed his beloved Son who will tear asunder the barrier between God and man that has been, placed, been in place since the fall. We also see the Spirit descending as a dove coming down to indwell the Son. And as the Spirit comes down, He takes on the form of a dove. And we know that there is a closeness in the triune God. They indwell one another in perfect love, harmony, and unity. We see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in Him, that is Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Here the Spirit is fulfilling Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of Lord God is upon me because Yahweh has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So the Spirit comes upon Jesus. And this, of course, is where he will is anointed as a priest. He's going to go out, and he is going to lay down his life for his people. And when he does that, he's going to baptize us in the Spirit with refining fire. 
This also points us to a new creation. As we consider the imagery that we see in Jesus' baptism, we ask ourselves, where else do we see the Spirit over the waters? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And that is in the first world. We also see in the second world, after the judgment of God and the floods of the world, we see in Genesis 8, verse 8, that he that is Noah sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for her sole of her foot, so she returned to the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark. You see, there are imageries of the Spirit coming at the and hovering over the waters at creation. And here we have the beginning of the new creation in Jesus. Consider the passage in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 32. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water sent unto me, whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Spirit. The new creation begins with Christ's baptism. It comes to its fullness in his ascension. And we today, in our baptism, are made new. Jesus is going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. We see Jesus at the end of Matthew's gospel as he instructs his disciples. Of course, you've heard us study this many times, but in Matthew 28, verse 18... It says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This brings the disciples of Christ to the place to be indwelled by the Spirit. We see it. In the book of Acts, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which, by the way, was the place for Israel to do their priestly duty to the world. Remember in the Feast of Tabernacles, they set up little booths like they're in the heavenlies and they're worshiping God and there's this big feast. But part of what they're doing there is sacrificing 70 bulls. For what purpose? For the 70 nations. Remember the table of nations that God gives in Genesis? All peoples that exist today have descended from that table of nations. And so here at the, at the Feast of Tabernacles, and the representative of the place where the, the people of Israel are to be doing the priestly duties, Pentecost occurs. The Spirit comes down so that the disciples may do their priestly duty to the world. What are these implications for us as the baptized body? Since Jesus' baptism is his priestly ordination to be an instrument of righteousness, our baptism is also our ordination to be instruments of righteousness by bringing salvation to the nations. People of God, unfortunately, we forget that since we are baptized in Christ, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. 
in our baptism, we are in him. We are no longer in bondage to sin. At the end of Romans chapter 5, we often find comfort because we hear in verse 20, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. We look to God, we trust God in faith for the forgiveness of our sins, but you see, we also have a tendency to look at that and say, well, if, if grace is going to abound if I sin more, well, it's all right. God's got it covered. This, of course, begs the question that is answered in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that, may, that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live in it any longer? We certainly are saved by God's abundant grace, but we are not simply to do whatever we want. We belong to Christ. We, we cannot read whatever we want. We can't watch whatever we want. We can't act in any way that we just simply desire to. We cannot say that we cannot help it. We cannot make excuses. Why? Look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That is, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This, verse is, this passage is very clear. In our baptism, in our faith in Christ, we are no longer slaves to sin. We need to hear this. If you go down to verse 12 in Romans chapter 6, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Jesus is our king and our high priest. The triune God has brought the new creation. Because of your baptism, live as instruments of righteousness to bring the good news of salvation to all the nations. Let us pray. Father, help us to believe, to understand the implications of your work, not only through Jesus and in him and in his baptism, but in our baptism into him. And we thank and praise you that you have brought us to yourself and by your grace and mercy have forgiven us of our sins so that we can have hope for life and not condemnation. O oh Lord, help us to love you, forgive us of our sins and our indifferences and our carelessness. Help us to live diligently before you Help us to turn away from sin and bring glory to you in Jesus' name.
Amen.